he is on his throne and he is in control. No matter what is happening in the political situation, with the medical situation, with the racial situation, with any situation that we're going through right now, God is still in control. And sometimes, you know, things have to get better before they get worse. We all know that. But make sure that we're looking through the right lens of gratitude. We can look for the lessons that we need to be learning through this, that we can learn more about the character of God as we're going through this, that we can learn more about how to be grateful when we're going through difficult circumstances. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. The best news we could ever receive is that in the middle of our most broken, painful moments, there is someone who will reach out to us, no matter what we've done, who we've hurt, or the mistakes that we've made. God doesn't care what you look like, or the road that you've traveled. All he cares for is your heart and where you're headed. Sharon Janes is an international conference speaker and author of 25 books, including her newest one, When You Don't Like Your Story, What If Your Worst Chapters Could Become Your Greatest Victories? Sharon was the vice president of Proverbs 31 Ministries for 10 years and is the co-founder of Girlfriends in God Incorporated. Growing up in a violent home, Sharon was introduced to what a true relationship with God looks like through a caring neighbor, the same neighbor who would bring Sharon's broken mom to Christ as well, paving the way for her alcoholic father to come to know God. Time and time again, Sharon has seen the power of forgiveness in her life and has seen how your worst, most heartbreaking moments can be a springboard for positive change. Well, hi, I'm Sharon James, and I'm so glad to be with you today. My growing up years, they were some pretty bad chapters. I grew up in a small town in eastern North Carolina. My dad was a pretty successful businessman. However, he wasn't home a lot. But honestly, as a little girl, that was fine with me because my dad had a terrible drinking problem. And when he was home, he drank heavily. And many nights, my parents would get in arguments and not just verbal arguments. They would get in fights. My mom was a very bitter, angry woman, and um, then with my dad's alcohol, that was just a real bad combination. They would start arguing, and then it would turn violent, and many nights um, I would hear my dad hitting my mom and her hitting him back, and I would go to bed at night sometimes, just pull those covers up and just pray I could go to sleep to shut out the noise that was going on in that next room. So as a little girl, I grew up seeing a lot of things a little girl shouldn't see. I heard words. Um, a little girl shouldn't hear. Now, with my family, as bad as we were, there was a lot went on behind those doors. There was drinking, there was alcohol, there was pornography, there was gambling. As bad as all we were, as my home life was, we went to church on Sundays. And when we went, walked in the church, people would say, how are you today? And we would say, fine, but we weren't fine. And I always felt as a little girl that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't pretty enough, I I wasn't a good enough daughter, and if I could be, then maybe my parents wouldn't be so angry and fight all the time. And I remember going in my brother's room and hiding in his room sometimes, and we developed a pattern when conflict would happen, he would leave, and I developed a pattern of when conflict would happen, I would try to fix it. So as a little girl, I, I grew up trying to fix my parents' problems, and of course, I never could. But you know what? God didn't not leave me that way. When I was about 12 years old, there was a, a woman in my neighborhood. Her name was Mrs. Henderson, and her daughter, Wanda, was my best friend, and I would love to be down at the Henderson's home. And Mrs. Henderson, she would walk around the house singing little praise songs about Jesus. And honestly, I thought she was a little strange because she talked about Jesus like she knew him personally. 
And what I began to realize when I started going to church with the Hendersons, because see, many nights I would spend Saturday night there, and then I would go to church with them the following day. I, I couldn't have verbalized this as a little girl, but I began to see that what they had in their life was a relationship with Jesus Christ. What we had was a religion in our lives. And I began to see there was something very different between a religion and a relationship. And I wanted what they had. So Mrs. Henderson just took me under her wing and she loved me. And it took me about two years under her mentoring before I finally accepted Jesus. And then when I did, um, he did forever change my life at 14. Three years after I came to Christ, I had an opportunity to leave for the summer to, to study abroad with a group. But I said, I can't go because who's going to take care of my family? Who's going to take care of my parents? I had gotten into that role of being the fixer. Well, I decided that I would leave for the summer. And I told my mom, I said, now, listen, if something happens, I'm not here to help. You get down to Mrs. Henderson. She'll help you. Well, that night, my dad came home drunk, started a fight. I wasn't there to help, so she went to Mrs. Henderson's home. And that night, my mom gave her life to Jesus Christ. Here's the, the amazing story of it all. When my mom became a Christian, and listen, I would never tell a woman to stay with someone who's abusive. I would never tell her that. My mom did tell my dad that she gave her life to Jesus. And you know what happened? That night, my father never drank again. When I came home that summer, he said, you know, I'll go to church with you, but I could never become a Christian because there's too many things that I've done in my life. God could never forgive me. Now, of course, I said, Dad, you know, none of us could be good enough. If we could be good enough, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. But he could not understand that kind of grace for a man like him. Six years after I came to know the Lord, um, my dad was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. He was being sued in our small town because of a business dealing. And my mom had gone to Pennsylvania for a meeting. And uh, my dad got in his car and drove from North Carolina to Pennsylvania. He stopped by a church and he said, I need someone to pray for me. The secretary there said, well, the priest isn't here, but I know a Baptist pastor who's out in the woods building his church right now. And she drew him a map on a scratch piece of paper. My dad got in his car with a scratch piece of paper, followed this map and found a man out in the woods building his church with a hammer in his hand and Jesus in his heart. And he said, I need you to pray for me. And the man said, well, Alan, tell me your story. What's wrong? And probably for the first time ever, my dad told this man everything he had done. And then that precious man, the man I'll never know, put his arm around my dad and said, Alan, let me tell you what I've done. And the way my father explained it to me, he said, Sharon, everything I had done in my life, this man had done too. And I knew that if God could forgive him and he could be a preacher, then he could forgive me. And my dad accepted Jesus that day. I say he went in the woods a sinner and came out a saint. And see, that is how a worse chapter can become a greatest victory. It was a bad chapter in my life. It was a bad chapter in both of my parents' lives, but it became their greatest victory. And for everyone listening, I want to encourage you that, that getting from that place to being able to tell your story of redemption is a process. You know, for my life, one thing I realized pretty soon on is that even though both of 
my parents had become Christians. There was a lot of forgiveness that had to go on in my heart. I didn't forgive my parents the moment they accepted Christ. You know what? I didn't even realize that I had that unforgiveness still in my heart. And one of the men who mentored the teenagers and people in their 20s, I, I went and shared with them that I was having trouble hearing from God. And Mr. Thorpe looked at me and said, I sense that you have never forgiven your father for what's happened in your past. And I said, Mr. Thorpe, I'm not here to talk about my past. I'm here to talk about my future. And he said, Sharon, God cannot talk to you about your future until you deal with your past. So that day we did talk about all the forgiveness that needed to happen in my heart. And after I forgave my father, things became much clearer. I started hearing from God in this area of my life. I knew what I was to do. We have to to stop and think, who is it that I am not forgiving? Because as long as we have unforgiveness in our heart, we will get stuck in a bad chapter in our story. So the first step is deciding you want to get well. The second step is to forgive those people who have hurt you. And the Bible tells us, you know, our whole Christian faith is based on forgiveness, isn't it? Jesus giving his life for the forgiveness of our sins. And yet that is the step we stumble on so many times is then forgiving others. And if our Christian faith isn't based on forgiveness, well, it's not based on anything at all. Once you've decided you want a different story, you've forgiven those who've hurt you, you've forgiven yourself to receive God's forgiveness, you've left that shame place. Now you're ready to tell your story. I love Jesus Calling, and I've probably given it as gifts more than any other book besides the Bible. There's an excerpt from April the 11th that really speaks to what we've been sharing today. And it says this, To find joy in this day, you must live within its boundaries. I knew what I was doing when I divided time into 24-hour segments. I understand human frailty, and I know that you can bear the weight of only one day at a time. Do not worry about tomorrow or get stuck in the past. There is abundant life in my presence today. So here's what I want us to remember. Don't get stuck in the past. There's abundant life in Jesus' presence today. I want to encourage you, especially when you're talking about your own mistakes and failures, don't worry. Everyone has something in their past that they're not proud of. But when we can then turn around and use that for good, well, that just glorifies God and helps people see Jesus. We've all got some chapters in our lives that we would love to rip out of the narrative and some chapters where we just wonder if God even sees what's going on in our lives. But I want to encourage you that God is always working behind the scenes. He's always working in the meanwhile, even when we don't recognize Him. To learn more about Sharon Janes and her work, please visit SharonJanes.com. And be sure to find her newest book, When You Don't Like Your Story, wherever books are sold. Stay tuned to Christine's Soul Story after a brief message. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. 
Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Many of us want to develop a deeper prayer life. In this new 365-day devotional, Jesus Listens, Sarah Young offers daily prayers based on Scripture that will help you experience how intentional prayer can connect you to God and change your heart. Learn more about Jesus Listens and download a free sample at jesuscalling.com slash jesuslistens. Our next guest is Christine Soul, who grew up in a broken home, struggled with drug addiction, was a victim of sex trafficking, and had nowhere to turn. Eventually, Christine found God through a Benny Hinn gathering that was right next to the strip club where she was working, and she did a 180 on her lifestyle, boldly making different life choices, relying on nothing but the goodness of God to heal her broken soul and spirit. Christine is now the founder and CEO of Providence Heights, a nonprofit organization that was created to house women and children in need, as well as providing counseling, jobs, and education. Hello, my name is Christine Soul, and I am a passionate lover of Jesus Christ. I truly believe that um, we are here for, for that beautiful purpose of loving God and loving His people. A little bit about my past and relationship with my parents is, I would say, unique. My father, he was married uh, seven times, eight if you include my mom, twice. And kind of the way he did family is that when he divorced his wife, he would kind of divorce the kids as well and never see them again. And so I, I saw my dad probably about six times after the age of five. Now, my mom, she was married four times. And, you know, very interesting situations there. So for my siblings, I actually discovered that I had, I believe, 14 additional siblings that I had met at my dad's funeral. And so that was a little bit of a unique situation from the people who I was raised with, with my family. That was two brothers and one sister. I really didn't see my brothers from about the age of five on, just a handful of times, my sister kind of bounced back and forth from my dad's house to my house. At the age of 16, my sister, I discovered, was having an affair with my adopted father. I was the one who caught them and needed to tell my mom what was taking place. And so that really severed the relationship between my sister and I. They actually had ran off and gotten married, drained the bank account, and we lost everything that we had, our house, our cars, um, even like stereo systems. So that was kind of a difficult time. So that was really my only relationship with my siblings. At age 10, I started doing drugs. And at age 17, I was pregnant. 18, I had my... A beautiful daughter, and at 19, I had identical twin boys. I ended up as a meth addict, and I was being trafficked. Now, trafficking in America, I would say, looks very different to what we would picture in some foreign country. And in fact, I talk to parents about, you know, don't don't just teach kids about a, a guy in a creepy white van, but 
but give them confidence because, you know, the way a trafficker in America knows how he can traffic a, a girl or boy for that matter is by just one sentence and that's, hey, you're pretty. And based on the response of that person, we'll tell that trafficker if they're able to traffic them. And, and so I would say that the, the most critical part of really uh, training your child is, is really in understanding their identity and knowing how valuable that they are so that when they see someone that is, is speaking in those terms, that they have those warning signs of, of what to really look for and, and really knowing their identity and, and who they are in Christ is huge. So for me, as a 21-year-old girl who had been trafficked and just desperate to have change in, in their life, I was um, a pretty severe addict at that point, and I wanted to be a good mom. I wanted to love my babies. I, I actually was at the point where I just, I, I despised men though, and I, I was really desperate for for something, for anything. And you know, it's interesting as I would uh, drive down the road to the strip club that I was working at, I remember seeing this um, Benny Hinn sign. And I was like, what is this Benny Hinn guy? You know, what, what is this all about? And they kept doing these events, doing these events. And I'm like, what is the commotion? And you know, it was taking all of the parking and it was right next to my work. And, you know, I, as a, you know, years later, kind of step back and go, you know what? I wonder how many people, I wonder if Benny Hinn said, hey, everybody, extend your hands to that strip club and pray for those women in there for them to come to the knowledge of Christ. And, you know, it was right after that, that I had fallen to my knees and I was so desperate. And I just, I cried out to God and I said, if you are real. If you are real, take my life, it's yours. I surrender. And with everything in me, I surrendered to him. And I so tangibly felt the power and presence of God that I went and I threw all the drugs and alcohol away. And I had just determined I'm, I'm not gonna live like that anymore. And you know what? Instead, I, I should have had a, a heart attack by quitting drugs the way that I did. But instead, I never even had a desire, temptation, or withdrawal. I was completely set free in that moment. Now, my trajectory of, of how to walk this whole Christian life out was a little bit different because here I was in my mini skirt and low cut top with three kids walking into church. And needless to say, I didn't quite fit in. But you know what? That that would be my comment to everyone listening is if someone steps in that church and they look a little different than you, they're seeking God. They need a savior. And you know what? Grab a hold of them because they have made the scariest, most bold step probably up to that point in their life. So love them. It's a huge deal to let them know that they matter. So I had that immediate salvation passion for Christ in that moment. And I had steps in learning, how do I live out this Christian walk? And that took time. 
But you know what? God is so faithful and he's so gracious. And he just, I like to call it like a, a beautiful garden. And, you know, uh, it's all of a sudden I, I had a ton of weeds and he just started kind of plucking those little weeds, you know, and it was like, okay, you've got this baby girl. How about you? How about you go over here now? <laughs> how, how about we deal with this weed? Okay, you've got that. How about you deal with this weed? And, and some things take deeper root and some things can be easily plucked. But that's what he really did in my life so that I could have that beautiful garden. I could have that beautiful soil that he could actually deposit and plant something great into my life. And so that's the thing. Don't expect people to change overnight. Just one step at a time so that they can really allow God to cultivate them. It's not our job just to fix them. It's, it's God's job to cultivate them. You know, there was this moment uh, where I had my three kids. I was bouncing from house to house. I didn't know how I was going to survive. And I found out all my bills. And I had $40 to my name. And I did not know what I was going to do. And, you know, I sat there in that moment and I thought, you know, God really rescued me before. I wonder if he can help me with this difficulty in my life. And and so I, I, I wrote that $40 check out to the only person I knew who went to a Christian church. And I, I gave it to him and I said, hey, can you just give this to your church? And he said, yeah, no problem. He had no idea. It was the last penny to provide for my babies. And you know, it was that man that I gave that check to that I have been married to for 24 years almost. And it was that man who really helped me walk out that life for Christ. And, you know, Jesus calling has been a huge blessing. In fact, it was foundational for me when I really was coming to the knowledge of Christ. It was pivotal. It is a book that I love to share with people, especially people who are um, just getting to know the Lord, even people who don't know the Lord. It is such a great way to share the love of Christ in in a way that really welcomes them in. And so that was a, a key tool for me in reaching to others. And now I love it today just as inspiration and motivation and just a daily uh, kick to know that you're on the right track and you're loving and building other people. Jesus Calling, February 6th. Come to me and rest. I am all around you to bless and restore. Breathe me in with each breath. The way just ahead of you is very steep. Slow down and cling tightly to my hand. I am teaching you a difficult lesson learned only by hardship. Lift up empty hands of faith to receive my precious presence. Light, life, joy, and peace flow freely through this gift. When your focus turns away from me, you grasp for other things. You drop the glowing gift of my presence as you reach for lifeless ashes. Return to me. Regain my presence. What this passage means to me is really that, you know, life is going to have difficult circumstances. We are going to go through things. It is a fallen world that we live in. And it's so easy to blame God for all of these difficulties. If God is for us, who could be against us? He's going to walk with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. 
He is with us. He's the lamp into our feet and the light into our path. So he will walk with us. He's not just telling us what to do. He's walking us through it. And so just know, friends, that he is for you. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, he's for you. He's with you. He loves and adores you. And allow that to turn your life into something truly beautiful. You know, I went from a life of uh, great poverty to marrying a man who owned a software company who has the biggest heart in the world. And so I got to start to, to live a life of generosity and philanthropy, and that became my passion. Well, then all of a sudden, about three years ago, almost to the day, I was driving down the road and I felt like God was saying, turn the car around and go talk to that woman. And I'm looking behind me going, what woman? <laughs> and sure enough, there was a homeless woman on the side of the road. And so I turned the car around and I asked this woman to tell me her story. And you know, she shared almost the exact same story as me to where I was pretty freaked out. Well, I get into the car and I'm like weeping. I mean, ugly crying. And I said, Lord, what is it that caused me to run to Jesus and she ran to heroin, and our stories became so different. And through this process, as I'm kind of whining to God, He so graciously reminded me of a Bible study I was teaching two days prior, where I was literally pointing my finger at people saying, you go be the difference you wanna see in the world. Quit whining about it, quit complaining about it, you go be the difference. And I sat there kind of beating my chest going, um, <clears throat> um, Lord, <laughs> you want me to actually do something about that? And, and the Lord, I felt like put upon my heart is they need four things. They need Jesus. They need someone to believe in them. They need training and education and they need an opportunity. And in that moment in my car, I said, yes, Lord, I will do that. And so three years later, after building the most amazing board and people who believe in us and love our vision, we now, as of January 4th, got the keys to the Red Lion Hotel in Bellevue, Washington, where we are able to house up to 88 women our first year, plus their children. And after that, we could potentially go up to 138 women plus kids. Now, with Providence Heights, I discovered that there's this really sweet spot, I believe, of being able to grab a hold of these beautiful women who are just trying to survive. They're just hanging on and to, to really take them and give them the opportunities, the skills and believe in them and, and really introduce them to a loving, beautiful savior who wants to care for and provide for them. And so that is the demographic of the people that we're looking for, women who are on the cusp. And we are just simply guides to help them discover that target, the trajectory that God has created, the destiny for their life. And so we're going to shoot them out as arrows and we know that they're going to hit that mark because God has planned something beautiful for these women. To learn more about Christine's nonprofit, please visit ProvidenceHeights.org and be sure to find her book, Broken and Beautiful, wherever books are sold. 
If you'd like to hear more stories about how God can rescue us no matter our circumstances, check out our interview with Zach Williams. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with Holly Singletary, wife of country music star Daryl Singletary, who passed away in 2018. She shares what the aftermath of losing her husband looked like and how she struggled to carry on for her kids. The first year, I felt like was almost like autopilot. You know, I'm good at this mom thing. I love this. I wanted to be a mom forever, so I've got the mom thing. But it was like, now I'm mending four broken hearts. And how do I do that? Okay. Not just okay, but how do I, how do I make them, you know, properly grieve? Because I don't even know what that looks like, you know. Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com Jesus Calling Book on Facebook and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.